I told you I'd get out of here. Open your mouth again and we'll carry you. Welcome once again to uh, the return, uh, like the mighty phoenix, I guess, <laughs> of Cinema Beef Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Hill, and with me this time around, you know him from the Kiss to Go Podcast, you know him from some other stuff too that you, you don't love him in, including the Six and a Half Beat Under Podcast. <laughs> it's Jeffrey X. Martin, how you doing, sir? Doing good, Gary. Hi, everybody. How we doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it's going to be fun. But, um... Yeah, I, I, how's things going with the Kiss the Goat podcast and stuff, man? You know, Kiss the Goat is going great guns. We, um, <clears throat> we got, we're heading towards our 15th episode, which I guess, you know, I'll take any milestone I can get. Um, but the holiday special was a big hit. People really liked that. But we are continuing to watch old devil movies so that you don't have to, unless you just really, really want to. Um, we'll be doing the Brotherhood of Satan next, which is just screwed up beyond compare. That movie is just a mess. <laughs> so we had a lot of fun with that, and I think you'll dig it too. Beautiful. You think it'd be a little weird working with your spouse, you know? Because I know a lot of times you you work on a job with your spouse, you start to really annoy each other because you you're you're at work and you're at home together, that kind of deal. But I guess a podcast would be a little bit different, huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, she you know she watches the movies with me. She gets my sense of humor. You know, she gets the jokes before I even say them half the time. So, yeah, it's really cool working with her. She's just, plus, she's fucking fast. <laughs> I mean, just <laughs> quick-witted. It cracks me up every time. So, <clears throat> yeah, she's cool to work with. That's good. Have you watched anything uh, really good lately or anything really bad? Oh, my God. What did I watch? You know what? I actually rage quit a movie last night. And I haven't <laughs> I haven't rage quit a movie in a long time. But I was trying to watch Dreamhouse. Um, not the Korean one, because that one's oh, awesome. Yeah. That one's awesome. The one with Daniel Craig and Rachel Weiss, 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 Edelweiss. I don't know. <laughs> um, and, yeah, we got about 40 minutes. We got about 20 minutes into it, and I was like, this movie is kind of pissing me off. And Cootie was like, this movie is annoying the fuck out of me. And I let it go about another 20 minutes, and then there was a big reveal, and I was just so frustrated with that big reveal that I said, fuck it, and I turned it off. And I was angry for the rest of the night. 
Is it like a ghost movie, or what is it? No, it's more like fucking the number 23. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. yeah. The only thing missing was was a <laughs> Daniel Craig pretending to play the saxophone. <laughs> Although Dream, was it Dream Home? Was that the, the Korean one? Yes. No. That has that that has death by space bag in it, so you know, I can I can respect that, you know. Oh, Dream Home's amazing. God, I love that. That that's so bloody and gory and funny. It's great. Oh, that that commentary on the Korean housing market. Dum dum dum. Dum dum. Yeah, but Dream House is like, it's it's like they redid the Amityville horror for like retarded monkeys. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> just. We're going to spell every single thing out for you, and it's just—it's God, it's terrible. He told me Daniel Craig should have broke the fourth wall every time he said, "You getting this? You understand this now?" You know, yeah, just... exactly. Hey, hey, hey! You got it? Hey! <laughs> Oi! Look in the mirror. There's a clue. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, but tonight we're—I uh, guess we're celebrating Carpenter in a way. I mean, I think did you record? Did I do what? Did you record that show with Duncan where you're doing the Carpenter stuff? No, we haven't done that one yet. Okay. We're going to be doing that real soon. And we're more X about Carpenter before you know it. We'll talk about that towards the end of the show. I could talk about Carpenter all fucking year, and that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, we're uh, we're celebrating Assault on Precinct 13 on this one, in, in, in a way, you know, because we're going to discuss three films. Uh, the one that basically inspired Carpenter because he's a, he's a Western guy at heart and, you know... Rio Bravo was pretty much his inspiration for Assault on Precinct 13. And we're doing the original Precinct 13, and we're going to uh, dis- discuss uh, the best way we can the remake of Precinct 13. Or the, the redux, or the reimagining, or the... <laughs> the reupholstering of Precinct the re- 13. That re- should be called the reupholstering of Precinct 13. <laughs> we need a new sofa in here. We're closing it down. Oh, well. Aww. You know. Oh. But I guess we're going chronological order on this bitch, and we'll uh, we'll shoot right we'll shoot right into Rio Bravo right after the trailer. like Rio Bravo, with its thundering story of raw courage against overwhelming odds, and its once-in-a-lifetime combination of today's hottest star names. You've seen nothing like them together, and here at Rio Bravo, nothing can tear them apart. Not even a thank you, do I get? Maybe you're right, Stumpy. Huh? You're a treasure. Well, <laughs> I don't know what I'd do without you. <laughs> well, I... Tired, aren't you, John T? I can fix you a nice hot bath. All I want is a drink. Then, uh, this is all I can do for you? I told him you were one of the best. I'll tell you what I'm a lot better at, Mr. Wheeler. That's minding my own business. No offense, Sheriff. Where are you going? Get your hands off. I said, where are you going? You got no use for a man you can't depend on. 
one bad night and I'm done for. Better go easy on that stuff. That makes three you had. Yep. You'd be lying because that's what I am. A, a soft-headed idiot. There isn't any other explanation for staying around here and inviting myself into this. Round the bend. Round the bend. She'll be waiting. She'll be waiting. For my rifle pony and me. My rifle, my pony, and me. This has been one of the few peaceful scenes from the picture Rio Bravo with John Wayne, Dean Martin, and Walter Brennan here, and a new girl, Angie Dickinson. Tell them about Ricky Nelson. Oh, yeah, that's me. Come and see us. Rio Bravo from 1959. Here's your cheap IMDb synopsis. A small-town sheriff in the American West enlists the help of a cripple, a drunk, and a young gunfighter in his efforts to hold in jail the brother of a local bad guy. That's about right. Uh, your top-billed cast is um, John Wayne as Sheriff John T. Chance. Uh, Dean Martin as Dude. I think his name is Dude. He's pretty awesome. Borachone. Borachone. <laughs> Ricky Nelson, who I thought was delightful in this film, as a, a cat named Angie Dickinson as Feathers. Uh, Walter Brennan, the delightful, again, as Stumpy. I love that guy. <laughs> I, lo- I love that guy, man. I love the fact that nobody else in the movie has a real name. Yeah, they all have, they all have <laughs> jaunty Western nicknames, and I love that. You know? <laughs> Except for your bad guys, you know. Oh, yeah. Joe Burdett, Nathan Burdett. You know, stuff like that. You know, they all, they all have proper names, but except for your your uh, your heroes, you know, I guess. You know. I'm just very glad that no one ever nicknamed me Stumpy. I think I would be sad if I had to go through life being called Stumpy. But if, if, if you see the guy in the film, though, Stumpy, he's, he's aptly named. He is. He is. He's, he's this, this guy that runs the jailhouse who, who, who is there just to feed the prisoners and, the, you know, stuff like that. And... Uh, apparently he could shoot, but he has no teeth. He, he wears like a like a real hillbilly ass hat, you know. This is a guy you came walking down the street that you would call, "Hey, Stumpy," and he might answer back to you, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's got a bum leg. He's got bum teeth. He's just he's he's a mess. He is a mess. He is a charity case. <laughs> so, uh, what's your initial uh, thoughts on Rio Bravo, sir? Um, you know, I I like this movie. I. <clears throat> I don't love it. I'll put it that way. I do like it. There are a lot of things in it that interest me as kind of, you know, in film geekery sort of way. The first five minutes of the movie, no dialogue. Nobody says a word. And that's fascinating because that's how we set up the whole story. And it's set up just all through actions instead of words. And that's nice for me. Um, So setups are cool. Interesting take on... The Western, there's, what, four close-ups in the entire film? That's about it. Yeah, and that's about it. So, shot composition's great. The color palette's appropriately muted. Everybody's really good in this movie. Um, I, I think if I have a problem with it, it's that I don't think they focused on the correct character. I really wanted to know more about John Wayne's character. Um, but a lot of Rio Bravo involves watching Dean Martin go through the DTs. 
and that's kind of disturbing <laughs> to me. <laughs> you know, with him being the famous drunk, you know, I hung out with Sinatra, he, you know, I'll, I'll make you a martini, and he's just sitting there just twitching and wringing his hands because he can't get a hold of any whiskey. It's kind of discomforting to me, but I, I know that's just me, so I'll be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. You know, the star of this film is like I can't really say he's the star because he's not my favorite person in the film, but he should be. You know, is is John Wayne, and like you said, it's it's more it's more uh, it's more focused on you know the, the, these this new boss covered the town with with this crew, which consists of Colorado, who you know, the boss gets shot by by uh by the the the, 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 the of course there's always a bad guy crew in each of these nerdy western towns. And they get she gets shot by them, so naturally he only has one place to go but to be to work with uh, the sheriff, of course. And the, the the fact that they they spend so much time on Dean Martin's alcoholism, you know, he once was a great gunfighter, and now he's just kind of washed up, you know. And he gets to shave, and he's good as new, you know. <laughs> that's it. That's it's, it's all. That, <laughs> in every western, they get a shave, and they're good as new, you know. It's, it's, that's all. They just needed a bath. But what's funny is the whole time I was watching, you know, thinking about that particular plot point, I was like, I've seen this before. Where have I seen this? Oh, it's fucking Blazing Saddles. And then I realized exactly how influential Rio Bravo was on the entire Western genre. I mean, if you, if you, if you take, like, Daryl Dixon from The Walking Dead, maybe you, maybe you give him a bath and you shaved him. He, he might not be so angry all the time, you know? He might be like this happy-go-lucky fella if he had a shave, you know? He might learn how to use more weapons proficiently. I'm talking to you, Redis, okay? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> How you became a sex symbol, I have no idea. But, you know, maybe maybe he carry a tune. Maybe he'd become a sex symbol that way, you know? Maybe, maybe. He, he, he'd dobby it up for us, perhaps, you know? Maybe he could just, you know, sing that little song about Terminus. I don't know. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. The what governor's an asshole. <laughs> How did I get on of Redis? I don't even know this happened. <laughs> Just just comes out of me, you know. Just, uh, it comes okay. back. In, <laughs> we tend to meander. It's okay. We always come back to the point. It comes back in three weeks, folks, and I'm be just as annoyed as I was. Annoyed as I was when I was on. <laughs> yo, did you see The Walking Dead last night? It was sick, yo. No, no, I'm not doing that. No, okay. Rio Bravo, yeah, yeah. See, see, you got the, the, these uh, central characters who all come together. You know, Colorado, played by young Ricky Nelson, like I said who I didn't know was such a good actor until I watched this movie, you know? Yeah. Because he was so goddamn likable. He was almost like the, the kid in, in Quick of the Dead, who I really wanted to hate Leonardo DiCaprio, but he was he was so likable in that film, you know? Exactly. Yeah, he's oh. very cute in this movie. He even, even when he's giving John Wayne shit, it's just like, you're not thinking, you don't talk like that to the Duke. You're going, ha ah, ha, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you both my guns. Fucker! Okay. <laughs> that was funny. Oh, boy. I love the fact that, you know, you got, like, all these different races in the town. You got the little Mexican guy who owns the inn helping him all the time. That that, that was that's a lot of fun. It's always fun to have, little, like, a, little, a lot of little fun allies in the film, you know, and he, he was no exception, the, the little uh, Mexican innkeeper <coughs> with his angry senorita wife. The whole town is like the bus from Speed. Yes. <laughs> No dreadlocks, so thank God, you know. <laughs> oh, boy, you need that loose cannon. We get that in that third film, though, real, real bad, though. T- tons of loose cannons in that yeah. third film. 
Um, uh, Angie Dickinson is in this film. She plays a, a, a hooker slash card shark slash hustler slash whatever she is. By the name of Fe- Feathers, that's all, that's, all, that's all they refer her by. No, you're missing the point, dude. Is she plays a redhead. Yeah, she she does play a ginger in this film. Oh, God. <laughs> she is a ginger in this film. It's amazing. <laughs> I, I think that the, the biggest plot point of this film that, that I guess Precinct 13 doesn't have is that in the end of this film, the Duke is clearly going to fuck Angie Dickinson. <laughs> them yes. Tights, them tights coming off, you know what's going to happen. Yep, there's no <laughs> doubt about it. See, and that's what's weird, because when we talk about Rio Bravo as the inspiration for Precinct 13, I I don't see it a whole lot. It seems like it's based on, like, maybe 20 minutes of Rio <coughs> Bravo. Mm-hmm. You know, and the rest of it's just kind of like, eh, we'll just make up our own shit. Yeah, so. kind of, yeah. I mean, I mean uh, uh, Carpenter, if you even hear interviews today, he always talks about, you know, he, he always wanted to make westerns because that was his thing. Just the things Carpenter loves is wrestling in westerns if you ever hear interviews with them you know and you, you think oh I couldn't make it now why the fuck can't you make it now just make your own western yeah P- people would watch it just put your name on it you know I guess that that uh, I don't know if you're getting too old for this shit or some shit like that but uh just uh, go for it and do it but yeah th- this film I guess we could talk about it individually actually I, I like I, I liked um, like you said the first five minutes there's no dialogue and it really sets everything up really well but if you, you had to go by Inspiration for this film compared to Precinct 13, I guess I guess you would have more towards the remake in a lot of ways, you know, because you have Larry Fishburne, you know, hold up in there, being pursued by these the these this group of people, which we're gonna do, we'll talk about later on. And think, yeah, that's the third film, but still, it's it's a little bit closer to that rather than the next film where it's a, a really a real gangland type situation, right? But, and this film is just more like a lawman doing his job by keeping this, you know where he should be until days and days and days later until they're actually going to come retrieve him, the, the proper the proper lawman. They're going to come retrieve him, you know. Well, and again, this was Wayne's version of High Noon. Um, the Duke considered High Noon to be a communist film. <laughs> and he actually helped blacklist the writer of High Noon and get him run out of the country, so... Um, this was really his version of High Noon. Everybody comes together, and it's America, and we all join forces, and whatever the hell else. Not everybody runs away; it just leaves the one guy. <clears throat> I had a point. I forgot what it was. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! It, it'll come back to me halfway through the Carpenter discussion. Oh wait, fucking John Wayne. <laughs> yeah, it just as he didn't go against it that, that it's uh it's two hours and twenty one minutes long. So yeah. it, it with, can see. I'm with sorry. Three Ricky Nelson songs. But see, I don't mind those so much because it, it doesn't it doesn't come out too bad. It's not like you know where you're watching like an old like Joe Crawford film, and you know you see, you you see the Pepsi on the counter because it has to be there because it's in her contract that Pepsi has to be on the counter. <laughs> if you put Ricky Nelson in a film, much like you know when they put Elvis in films, you knew you were going to get some singing at some point in time. That's true. In the, the the singing thing in the jailhouse with the, him and Dean Martin, it is kind of magical, and I, I'll say it all day long. I I really enjoy that scene, probably almost more than most scenes in this film. The sun is sinking in the west. The cattle go down to the stream. The red wing settles in her nest. 
It's time for a cowboy to dream Purple eyes in the canyon That's where I long to be With my sweet good companion Just my rifle, pony and me Gonna hang my sombrero on the limb of a tree coming home, sweetheart darling, just my rifle pony and me. Whippoorwill in the willow. Sings a sweet melody Riding to Riding to Amarillo Amarillo Just my rifle Pony and me No more cow No more cow To be roping To be roping No more stray No more stray Will I see Round the bend, round the bend, she'll be waiting, she'll be waiting for my rifle pony and me. For my rifle, my pony and me. Hey, that's real pretty. Go on, play some more. What I think is interesting as far as the use of music is how the bad guys use the DeGeo song as kind of a psychological warfare to try mm-hmm. to break down Dean Martin. Kind of like what we did with Noriega with Motley Crue. Um, <laughs> I think that's an interesting concept. And I wonder, you know, the military just kind of ganked that from Rio Bravo. Oh, we'll just fuck this guy up. We'll just keep playing loud music over and over. We'll play Jesus Jones for eons and eons and eons. <laughs> God. <laughs> Oh, oh god! But yeah, the 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 west, the, the talk of the western, has kind of lost on me as as a younger person. But as an older person, I I've learned to appreciate it more because I would be caught dead watching a western. When I was like twelve years old. My father loved the Duke. He loved Mash and the Three Stooges. So whenever one of those three things would come on TV, I go change the channel. You got the father alarm clock, you know, where you go change the channel, and he'll tell you he woke up just right at that right at that moment you change the channel. I'm watching that, you know. <laughs> and to the and to this day, I still do not turn off the Sons of Katie Elder when it comes on TV, you know, because just just he he's no longer with us. But you know, whatever comes on, I almost like leave it on for him. It's like here you go, Dad. Here's the Sons of Katie Elder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way with Once Upon a Time in the West. That was my mm-hmm. dad's favorite movie of all time. So, <clears throat> and when I grew up, I was like, fuck, I hate this fucking movie and this fucking soundtrack is just driving me up the wall. And of course, now that I'm older. I have it on DVD. If it's on Netflix, I'll watch it. I've got the soundtrack on my computer, so of course it just all comes around. <laughs> yeah, but as far as this movie goes, um, it's a it's it's a really enjoyable watch for 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 a 1950 early late 1950s western. You know, I'll I'll say this: if I have a if I have a complaint about Rio Bravo, and this is a real complaint, not me being snarky, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think there's really only tension. And maybe two scenes. Yeah. Um, when they're doing the walk through the town, that's tense, because, again, it's very sparse on dialogue. And when 
Dean Martin is in the bar and he sees the blood dripping into the glass of beer. That, that was clever. That's an amazing sequence, and I loved it. And that was very tense. The rest of it, you're, you're pretty sure that everything is going to work out okay. You're never really thinking, oh my god, they might actually be in real trouble and somebody might die. No one's thinking that ever. You know, so I don't well, know if that was just a, a a product of the time or what, but the tension in it's very limited. I, I can't say that about all all Halloween movies because you know, eleven years later, I think it came out nineteen seventy. The Cowboys came out, came around, and uh, uh, spoilers: the Duke dies at the end of that one. And you know, if you're if you're a little boy, you watch a movie like The Cowboys, where the Duke is teaching young boys how to be men. You know, it's it's. You get a little teary-eyed, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You get a little misty, yeah. Or hell, go to 76 and watch The Shootist. Oh, my God. If that so didn't tear your face off, I don't know what does. Your heroes will die. You can't, can't die. And, you know, this movie, like I said, it's very hero-friendly, if you will. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the whole arc of uh, the whole arc of Dean Martin, you know, I, I, like I see that, that bar scene is pretty, it's clever. Like, all of a sudden, they, they, they're tracking the guy. And he noticed he's like freaking he's freaking Sherlock Holmes in that motherfucker. He just noticing <laughs> the blood dripping inside the thing. He's like, yeah, this guy's in there somewhere. And just you know, he pulls that that churn move, that the half circle churn, and it, it turns into the, the the shooting. Like, yeah, he's he's got his he's got his balls back, you know. And it almost reminds me of um this great. And I talked to Martin Landau about this actually. This great early Twilight Zone called Mister Denton on Doomsday, where Martin Landau plays um. Uh, he plays a real shitty guy inside of a bar who who picks on this drunk all the time, Mr. Denton. He drinks a magic potion. All of a sudden, he's no longer a drunk, but he can shoot again, you know. And but the, the, it always reminds me of that. Except this time, he got a shave, and they all that that made him a magical shootist again. And you know, <laughs> and he he didn't want to drink anymore. So you know, if anything, go. I'm, I'm not going to shave myself. If you want to go get a shave, you know, you might feel pretty good afterwards, you know. This part of Cinema Beef Podcast is brought to you by the $6 Shave Club. There you go. Yes, indeed. Because <laughs> Dean Martin said so. That's right. I, mean, I, I love I love the, the, the final uh, showdown, I guess, the exchange of prisoners and then that whole deal where, you know, everybody comes in to help, basically. They tell Stumpy to stay in the jailhouse, but all of a sudden, if they cross the ravine, we're done for. Here goes Stumpy. Guns, full guns blazing. Boom, yeah. boom. You know. <laughs> Like I got a boss, I got a boss. That kind of deal. I, I love those. Like here's, here comes the Mexican innkeeper to bring him more ammo. Stuff, stuff like that. It, it kind of makes me happy. Like all the all the allies are coming in to help. Yeah, they even mention that in the dialogue. They're like, who else is going to show up? <laughs> Stumpy shows up. The the Mexican hotel keeper shows up. Shit, his wife shows up. <laughs> his wife shows up too. <laughs> Probably to yell at him some more, you know. You're not shooting right. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. But yeah, this one I I, I really enjoy films like this. Now. I didn't like them when I was a kid, like I said, but I can appreciate them now. And I I, I don't know how much we're getting into with Assault on Precinct 13 because this was made like year out 20 years before, probably. I think it's right around there, right around 20 minute 20 year mark. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I guess filmmaking was different, but 20 years later, I guess. But uh, well, uh. You got anything else you want to say about Rio Rio Bravo? Rio Bravo? Um, No, just that I think that for spawning a a tremendously violent movie like Precinct 13, Bravo's very lighthearted. You know, you can gather the kids around and watch Rio Bravo. You can only gather certain kids around to watch Assault on Precinct 13. Well, not Kim Richards. Uh, No. (laughs) 
never going to Witch Mountain. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. But uh, yeah. And so I think I said other thing I'm gonna say about the film too. I guess we'll uh, shoot in the ratings now. Uh, what are your ratings, one through ten, sir? One through ten, I'll give Rio Bravo a solid seven. Okay. Yeah, I, I think um, it could have been shorter. In my opinion, it could have cut a little bit of stuff out, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know where you could do that at, but two hours and 21 minutes, 20, two hours and 21 minutes may be a chore on certain people. I don't know. I'm not one of those people. Unless it's Scarface, then, you know, you, you got me there. You know, if it's if it's two hours and 40 minutes, you just sit there like, okay, you oh, watched I'm, it. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm the guy who was like, oh, they're going to put 40 more minutes into Apocalypse Now? Fuck yes. <laughs> I will watch that every day. <laughs> But um yeah for me yeah I'm right there right around there I'm, I'm gonna go a little a number higher I'm gonna go an eight out of ten there's better John Wayne ones out there but I really enjoyed Ricky Nelson in this movie and you know the ginger Angie Dickinson yeah <laughs> that just gets the homer from me <laughs> and then the the Duke uh, getting some at the end is clearly the icing on the cake for this film because absolutely you, know, you don't see nothing but you once you see them stockings fall from the the, the saloon window. You know, oof, man. Yeah. Oh, man. She, yeah. She already like, unwrapped that present. Yeah, she did. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, right after this, we'll, uh, right after this, we'll get into um, our review of Assault on Precinct 13, the original one. trust anyone there's just one kind of man that you can trust that's a dead man or a gringo like me be the first one to fire every man is a liar there's just one kind of man who tells the truth that's a dead man or a gringo like me don't be a fool for a smile or a kiss or your bullet might miss keep your eye on your goal there's just one rule that can save you your life it's a hand on your knife and the devil in your soul keep your hand on your gun Don't you trust anyone There's just one kind of man that you can trust That's a dead man or a gringo like me Keep your hand on your gun Don't you trust anyone There's just one kind of man that you can trust That's a dead man or a gringo like me Or a gringo like me Or a gringo like me
tired of the same old stuff Hollywood puts out week after week? You know, all those less-than-appealing remakes? Those films with over-the-top CG and no storyline? Well, we don't have to take it anymore thanks to the 2015 B-Movie Celebration. Polyscope Media presents the 9th Annual B-Movie Celebration. In 2015, we're going to go back in time, back to 1985 to be exact. The 9th Annual B-Movie Celebration will feature the following films from this time period. Fright Night. Malibu Express. The Last Dragon. Invasion USA. Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins. Return of the Living Dead. Trancers. Reanimator. Morons from Space. The Stuff. Life Force. Defcon 4. Damnation Alley. Better Off Dead. Godzilla 1985. Along with those 80s classics, we're going to showcase The Blob from 1958 and Death Race 2000 from 1975. So pack those bags, recharge that flux capacitor, and join us for the 9th Annual B-Movie Celebration on August 14th, 15th, and 16th. 2015 at the Brown County Playhouse in Nashville, Indiana. For updated information on this event, bookmark the bmoviecelebration.com website using your favorite browser, and we promise to have you home back in time. Titles mentioned in this promo are subject to change without notice. The Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts podcast is an official sponsor of the 9th Annual B-Movie Celebration. On Saturday, six members of the gang known as Street Thunder were ambushed by the police. On Sunday, the warlords of Street Thunder swore a blood oath to avenge their dead. For the gang called Street Thunder, it is a day of vengeance. It's war in the streets. Oh, Jesus, come on. Come on, I'll give you my money. Just don't hurt me, please. Please. It's terror in the night. It's the most shattering assault on a police station in history. Assault on Precinct 13. This is a siege. It's a goddamn siege. You want to stay here and hold until somebody comes, okay? We're in the middle of a city, inside a police station. They're not afraid to die. Any of them want to rip us apart, no matter what it costs. It means to the death. Precinct 13. Cut off. Isolated in the middle of a city as a human wave of street killers turns the night into a nightmare. A white-hot night of hate. Assault on Precinct 13. Uh, Assault on Precinct 13 from 1976. That is a 7.4 year IMDb. Uh, Plot synopsis to Chipo 1. The lone inhabitants of an an abandoned police station are under attack by overwhelming numbers of seemingly unstoppable street gang. I would say they're unstoppable. The Cholos. The Cholos. Made up of a white guy, a black guy, a Latino, and a werewolf. (laughs) Yeah. 
Frank Doubleday. I I I I I I made a post on Facebook like that blew my mind that he was um he was the Duke's right hand, but he yeah. was a lot more scruffy looking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Escape New York. Yes. Yes, he was Romero, the Birdman. <laughs> but um, yeah, this film it, it's it's one of those films like where where um I don't even know where to gain cult status because. Well, when I was like just coming out of high school, I just started to find out about films like this. That you know, the the I guess the other John Carpenter films, right? And and I started to get into stuff like this, and I watched Dark Star, and you know, stuff that I hadn't seen, Prince of Darkness, because I was more getting into the newer Carpenter stuff, like when John Carpenter's Vampires came out and stuff like that. And then I went to go explore his older stuff, and then you know, this one came up because everybody everybody talked about it. You know, that say so you got you got to watch this, you got to watch that. And um, I watch it now, and it's 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 still a pretty magical, it's still a pretty good, great experience. Especially since I watch it on my computer, I had my headphones on, because right right when you get into the to the opening credits, you get that that Carpenter score, that bass heavy Carpenter score. Oh, it's so good. And it's better than the Escape from New York uh, score, I gotta say. And it, it was made before Escape from New York, so I'm not saying Escape from New York is a downgrade score, but when when that bass hits, I recommend watching it with headphones on. When that bass hits hits both ears at the same time, you know. Yeah. I I think it really sets up the film, even just with the score, you know. I would say honestly, out of out of the two, I'm gonna go way off board here. But listen to the redo of the Escape from New York main theme from Escape from L.A. and it's better than both of them. Yeah. That Shirley Jackson orchestration is fucking great in Escape from L.A. But we're not talking about Escape from L.A. We're talking about Assault on Precinct 13. <laughs> I tend to go off topic, and I apologize for that, but uh, I fucking love this movie so we already, much. We already got it in Norman Reedus. So I guess you were way off topic there. <laughs> Fair we'll, enough. We'll get, we'll get right into this. What, what, is, what, is, uh, what is your initial thoughts on Escape from, I mean, uh, Escape from L.A.? Assault on Precinct 13, uh, 1976 version of it. I think that what makes this movie such a good movie... Um, especially over the remake, which I don't hate. I have I have a I have one major beef with the remake, but we'll get into that later. This movie is extremely visceral. It's not cold. It's not detached. You see the bad guys at the very beginning. They don't say a word, but you know they're bad because they're all cutting themselves and bleeding together into a bowl. Now you don't do that if it's just poker night. <laughs> you know these guys are bad asses um and you recognize them it's like when you see them in the crowd you're like okay this is one of the main guys and they're very important there's that visual touchstone for for the bad well, guys well you, well you got a well you got a white guy hanging out with you push ethnic guys in 1976 one of it one of which looks vaguely like che guevara not vaguely he looks like che guevara <laughs> just like che guevara <laughs> this guy is a terrorist or something you just look at this guy like he's just <laughs> I was thinking that when I was watching it, too. I was like, I think they want us to believe this man's a revolutionary of some kind. <laughs> hmm, what's the clue? Yeah, he looks just like fucking Che Guevara. But the characterization in, in this movie is set up so fast and so well. As soon as you see Napoleon Wilson. First of all, his name is Napoleon Wilson, and that's cool as hell. But the first thing he says ends up being his catchphrase throughout the entire movie. And he's got just that smirk on his face the whole time where he's just doesn't care about anything. 
and he's a great character. They could have franchised him out. He he's kind of like the Snake Plissken prototype. Yeah. Well, if 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 you look at Plissken and you look at you know Napoleon, those guys are old school Western all the way. They got the scowl. They got the voice down. They got the I don't give a fuck because I know I'm that good attitude. Just like your John Wayne. And the, the, the irony that Lee Van Cleef was in Escape from New York is almost like they're matching wits with each other, you know? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, Precinct 13 just sets itself up to be... How, now, I, I don't know. I don't know how believable of a movie it is. Um, I've gotten lost in my own hometown before, so I guess it makes sense that the cops wouldn't be able to find this precinct that's been open for 30-some-odd years um, to help everybody out. But I don't know, man. It sucks you in. It just sucks you in in such a weird, linear way. It's like, okay, well, this happened, and then this happened, and then these people are completely unconnected, but now they're going to intercross lines with these people, and it just... it The story structure is just incredible, and I just want to study it. Yeah, it's, it's the real, it's the real simple story structure, really. You know, you got this this group of uh, this group of young men known as the Cholos, this the street gang. Apparently, it's a multi-ethical street gang, which is something you don't see too often. You know, this 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 state of the game in cinema. You know, the very progressive street gang. <laughs> is it, I mean, even even in the Warriors, you had you know. Well, I guess the Warriors, I, the, the Warriors themselves were very multicultural, but you know, you had the Gramercy Rips who were all black. You yeah. had you had the, the baseball furies. Clearly, there was no black guy in the whole group. As know. far as you could tell, I as mean, they had some heavy anyway. makeup on. <laughs> I mean, they're very, with the exception of the warriors, they're very ethnically, you know, separated. The, the the cholos, as they call them in this film, are not not very separated at all because they pretty much are all one gang of lost children, all ready to cause a ruckus with their automatic weapons, and you know that they automatically know how to use correctly. Yes. <laughs> they know how to use a sniper rifle correctly. They know how to use these these rifles with silencers correctly, and, and it's not and anything this, wrong with that, you know. And this is before YouTube, so I guess they just got up early and watched U.S. Farm Report. I don't know. Did they do shit like that on that show? <laughs> Bark bellies will be up next quarter, and here's how to properly load an AK-47. <clears throat> Aim, aim down, because it's going to have some recoil. You know, it's, it's, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this one, though, it starts out with, like, some of their brother being killed by cops. I guess this is to show you that they want revenge, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's how the Cholos hang together, it's just they hate cops. They just hate cops, yes, because they, they, they have lots and lots of guns, and apparently lots and lots of ammo to, I guess, start something eventually, because they really don't have any direction in this film. They're just, like, driving around and with Frank Doubleday, like, aiming at old ladies for no good reason. <laughs> That's such a creepy scene. <laughs> Honing in on the homeless guy, drinking on the couch, which is just out on the sidewalk for no reason. Not played by George Buckflower, missed opportunity, you know? Oh, <laughs> I did not see that. Was that Buck? No, I said not played by him. I said oh, not? Okay. <laughs> missed opportunity, you know? <laughs> George Buckflower should play every every homeless guy. You know, I, I don't care. But just... He would have been great as the ice cream guy, as a matter it's... of fact. Yes, he would have been. Oh, man. But yeah, they, 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 that scene, you know, that I'm just driving around like aimlessly. They seemed like they had no plan at all until this white guy who wanted to get his maid out of the ghetto 
and with his daughter from Witch Mountain, apparently Kim Richards, and you know she she's she wants an ice cream, and where you got these these scenes that Carpenter's not afraid to do, where she gets the wrong ice cream, she's just spoiled little shit. She has to go back and tell him, but this is so regular it's, vanilla. Well, so yeah. are you, Kim? <laughs> now with a taste of strawberry, because you get shot in the chest right on screen. Flap. <laughs> and the guy who plays her dad looks just like. Uh, McLean Stevenson, and it freaks me out every time I see him because I either think of Mash or I want to say Hello Larry or something. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, it goes from there where you know I guess you got this 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 father who's I guess in hot pursuit of the angers for no good reason. He's not concerned about going back to that payphone and dialing nine one one for his daughter who got shot in the street. He's like, <laughs> nope, I I gotta do something about this right now. You know. Seven- was there 911 in 1976? I would hope there's an operator or something he could have called <laughs> to, to help his dying or dead daughter, you know, lying in the street. You know what, though? And, I, and think about this. Yeah, 76 is when Precinct 13 came out. This is a movie that could not exist today because it relies so heavily on phone booths. Yes. There's no phone booths anymore. But this movie is very phone booth reliant, which cracks me up. You have phone kiosks in the mall. That's about it, though. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he, that's a guy with this film. He's supposed to be like this big, you know, grieving father. You know, he just like he. But by the time he gets to the police station, all of a sudden he's Barbara from Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> <laughs> he's like this this sad white woman just lying, just sitting on the ground. You know, just it's not doing a fucking thing. Still not worried about where his daughter is. Well, she gonna be. When he she comes into this, when he comes into the station, the woman goes, uh, "He's in hysterics. He says his daughter's been shot." Yeah, but he left her body back in fucking Glendale. So, <laughs> what kind of father is that? I know there's no help. Shit, just leave her. <clears throat> she could have been picked up right by the cholos, pissed on by a pit bull or two. You know, they could have been some real sick motherfuckers in that cholo gang. Some real necrophiliac type shit. You know, exactly. But she just, he just left her there too. You know. No proper barrel for this little girl at all. That's all I'm saying, you know. The, the sick part about this film is, like, she she's still lying there. And he lives to see the end of this film. That's some horse shit to have right there, man. Yeah, no kidding. He should have been shot in the head of the floor. He's still laying on the floor all dilapidated, you know. Because <laughs> he is so cold. He's just sitting in this blanket this whole film, you know, for the whole two-thirds of the rest of this film, you know. Definitely father of the, father of the year material, people. No kidding. <clears throat> It's interesting to see that the guy who's in charge of the precinct for the night is an African-American man. Um, this is the 70s, and we did get to see some black cops. You know, we had Shaft and, you know, some other of the black exploitation movies. But this, it's, it's very interesting because he's not one of those Shaft-type characters. He's very staid. He's very, you know, by the book, we're going to do it this way, and... You know, let's not ruffle any feathers, and I just kind of want to do my shit and go home. <clears throat> so I think he's an interesting character to have in charge of the precinct. Of course, and he's, he's emissary to the apes. What, what, what more could you want, you know? <laughs> That's right. I made a plan of the apes reference to this motherfucker. Wow. <laughs> well done. <laughs> That's the first thing I see when I see them. I watch those apes films pretty early, then I watch this film. Like, I know that guy from somewhere, and... That's where I remember him from is those freaking Apes films, the later, the later Apes films. That's awesome. Yeah, the James Franciscus films. Yes. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, yeah. He's you know this this this. I don't know. 
much like, you know, later on, he's like this, almost like fish out of water, you know, kind of deal. He comes, is thrown into this job he doesn't want to go to. But then again, Ethan Hawke is already stationed at this precinct. So, you know, it's, it's, that's different there. Mm-hmm. But uh, he gets, he gets, um, <laughs> they're going to shut down this precinct. So naturally, somebody gets sick on this prison bus with, with, the, with Napoleon and uh, Apollo Creed's trainer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Tony Burton in Tony full effect. Burton. Yes, he is. And uh, they have to come to the precinct that, you know, all, all hell breaks loose. Not because they come there, but because Father of the Year comes strolling into the front door. <laughs> it's kind of a but, shit it's kind of a shit storm there for about five minutes. It is, yeah. I, I think the biggest problem I guess with, with, with the remake and this one is you can almost tell who's gonna who's gonna get whacked and who's who's gonna who's gonna live through to see the end of this film. Because Nancy Loomis is just clearly a goner in this film. Well, because she's an idiot in this film. Uh, he fell down. Are you fucking serious? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, she's too stupid to live in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Burton, only one, only one black guy could live through this film, and it's not going to be him. So you know, he's he's going to die after playing potatoes with um with Napoleon, and you know. Right. Because that's a dumb way to go decide who's going go to go, go, go hotwire the car, you know. <clears throat> However, it is nice to see the beginning of Carpenter's ensemble cast start to come together. Because you do have Nancy Loomis. You do have Charles Cyphers as the guy who was on the bus. So all these people starting to come together and kind of meld and become his core group of people that he went to for a while. Yeah, it was... Uh... Uh, I start with that. Uh, the, a good start to that, I guess you would say, is stuff about the Carpenter camp coming together. Yeah, and um, that continued on for years and years and years. You know, but uh, this one is like a standalone film. I think the simplicity does it for me. You know, it's it's pretty much you know set one place. I'm not even gonna say they have no way to get out because these are I don't know how many cholos they they really say how many cholos are out there. Uh, infinite cholos. <laughs> there could be fifty. There could be fifty. There could be a hundred. You know, I I love the the end scene of this film. Mm-hmm. Not the end mm-hmm. scene, but the scene before the end where they they finally decide to explode these motherfuckers. You know, make them make them blow up real good. You know, because he's got three shots apparently, and he can blow up these these uh these phosphorus tanks and blow all these little beater white boys and black kids out of the water because you know that's that seems like the right thing to do. Yeah, that's that's sweet. And of course, when the cholos finally overrun the station, there's what twelve of them. That's about it. <laughs> twelve of them in a hallway <laughs> with with crude with crude weapons. None of, none of them had these these special assault rifles that everybody else had. So maybe these assault rifles, although they had so many of them, were only given to certain cholos. I guess who were decent shots. Well, the ones who got up to watch U.S. Farm Report. Yes, the ones who watched U.S. Farm Report. <laughs> Because these guys, at the end, they just had, like, crude weapons. Like, they were fucking cavemen trying to break into the... Fucking sticks and rocks. <laughs> and nothing, nothing going on, considering the, the, the degradation of... If you heard the news report where, they, where the cholos were cutting themselves about how many guns were stolen. And if they got in the right, wrong hands, what would happen? And, you know... Yeah. Apparently, the cholos were very unorganized. <laughs> Because they didn't, they didn't teach these these kids how to fight with these weapons. There's no delegation there. There's no delegation at all. No, it's a very poorly run organization of cholos. 
should have one lead cholo teaching these guys the way, but they, they were very unorganized. Because you had the guys with the guns, and then you had the guys with the crude weapons. I guess those were the pawns. Right. And then, you know, moving in, and they, they get exploded real good. And I, I, I guess the, the end of this film is, is very Western-esque, too. But pretty much, you know, the, the, the hero walking away kind of deal with, with, you know, the guy who was the villain but has redeemed himself to be a hero. And you get that a lot in those Western kind of movies. And I can see, I can definitely see the influence that Carpenter was going for. Not necessarily the Rio Bravo, but in, in, in the old school Western genre as a whole, you know, even the way, even the way the dialogue is, like I mentioned Napoleon, you know, the way he talks and the way, the way his, his scowl is and the way his attitude is, even the way his movements are. I mean, the scene where, um, I forget who it was, like I guess the warden or something knocks him out of his chair for no reason. Oh yeah. The scene where he wraps the chain around his leg He's like, uh, I forget the line. Something about people. I guess, I guess. I guess he like, don't stand up so good. I guess he don't stand up so good. That is so western, right there. Where somebody was like caught in a chain gang, they'd like wrap it around like the boss's legs and just flip them over one time, you know. Yes. I guess he don't stand up so good. That's so western. And, and it's there's really well done. There's so many scenes like that in this film. The whole idea of him as asking for a smoke, the, the whole time. It's almost like he's half John Wayne, half Wooderson from Days of the Confused. <laughs> Say, man, you got a joint? No, man, I don't. Be a lot cooler if you did. You know, kind of deal, you know. Uh, but he's just, he's just a, a really cool character that I can get behind, and I'm really glad he lived to see the end of this movie, you know. Yeah, me too. I think there would have been a hue and cry had he perished. <clears throat> give, give, give them their own spinoff film, and they could like, do, do stuff together, and, you know. It's like you gotta, only, you gotta, only if the chick, only, only if sweater tits had lived. <laughs> sweater tits, <laughs> sweater tits did live. Oh, she did, didn't she? That's right, she did. Yeah, she had special lighting for that sweater. I'm, I'm positive. <laughs> Just get two flashlights and shine them on her tits. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's it's like Maggie Smith in those '60s films. You know, she she had a set on her back in them days. I don't I don't know about now, but I, I watched. Uh, <laughs> What did I watch for 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 the bird the beard? Some movie. Um. Oh damn! Where she was a school teacher, and them sweater puppies were just magnificent. You know. Was it the Children's Hour? No, it was um. Oh. Oh, the Prime of Miss Jean Brody. That one, yes. Yeah. That one, yes. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Talk, talk about Maggie Smith now. See what happens, guys. See. It's okay. No, because the woman in Assault on Precinct Thirteen. I don't know what kind of bra she was wearing, but her tits were basically in her armpits. <laughs> just. <laughs> No, lift and separate. Uh huh. <laughs> Whereas Nancy Lewis's boobs were all covered up and like you know. That's well, because she's again too stupid to know how to wear a bra in this movie. That's how you do. She was going nah. <laughs> and, and too stupid to tell somebody got shot if they just fell down. <laughs> he fell down. You know. <laughs> so yeah. bad. Again, there's so many barbers in this film. You got that. You got that dumb barber who's walking around. You got da- Daddy Barber from Night of the Living Dead just sitting on the ground. Yeah, I just no, no. I don't want to hate this film at all. I really love this film. It's just like little stuff. You watch it now, like little stuff like that. Really, you know. Well, well, and I can see a huge Night of the Living Dead influence on this movie too. And Carpenter will admit that also. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, you've got two Barbaras. You've got the faceless Cholos who just keep coming and coming. Although I think there were the Cholos that you saw at the beginning, and everybody else is just a bendejo, and they're the ones who had the stones. And, and the, the sticks there at the very end. Um, <clears throat> so there's a lot of that kind of zombie influence to it, just the how do you stop the unstoppable force 
So I, I can kind of see that almost more than I can see the the Rio Bravo yeah. influence personally. But yeah, 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 I can see that. Like I said, it's more like Western inspired than Rio Bravo itself. Yeah, especially the playing character. Whereas at the end of a uh, Precinct Thirteen, uh, two thousand five or whatever, you get Point Break at the end of that movie. Uh... <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Uh... Yeah. Okay. Anything there. else you want to say about this film? <laughs> I. I... I really love it. I think it's one of his most underrated soundtracks. I think it's an underrated film. Um, and yeah, if you're a Carpenter fan at all, God, by all means, go back, watch this, watch Dark Star, watch the really early shit, and kind of see the master in his formative years. It's incredible. And Elvis 78. I'll say Elvis 70. I watched that, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kurt Russell is Elvis. I've seen him in two films. I love him in both. So <laughs> There you go. Yeah. 3,000 miles to Graceland. <laughs> that's, that's, that's something I'd love to do on the show one day. You know, <laughs> <laughs> The best Elvises? Because we have to get Val Kilmore from True Romance in there, too. Yes. But, um, yeah, I guess let's do ratings now. Uh, what's your rating? One to ten, sir. Straight up eight. Straight up eight? Yeah, I'm right with you with the eight. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not perfect. Uh, not, not, not father of your material, daddy son. Kim Richards is not going back to Witch Mountain ever again after this movie because uh, <laughs> she got shot in the chest and left for dead by her daddy, you know. Uh, yeah, it's, it's good. I, I really enjoy it every time I watch it. Like I said, the soundtrack really really took me in when I, had, when I wore my headphones. So if I recommend anything about this film the most, watch it with headphones on. I think you'd enjoy it a lot more. If you have a Blu-ray drive on your computer, pick up that Scream Factory issue of Assault 2 because that's amazingly good. I forget which one. I think I had the one before that. There was another Blu-ray come out. Maybe Image put it out or something. That, that makes sense. That's the one I got. I never got the Scream Factory one, but uh, I, I digress. It's pretty. <laughs> Scream Factory puts out a fine product, folks. You know. Yes, they do. They give us dolls on Blu-ray. I love them for that. Mm. <laughs> mm. All right. Uh, yeah, right after this, we'll shoot into, uh, I guess, our final feature. Probably the beef of the episode. <laughs> Assault on Precinct 13. Uh, the Redux. Right after this. Looking for something different in your podcast library? Then why not check out the podcast Under the Stairs? I'm the host, Duncan McLeish, and joining me each week will be a special guest as we examine some classic old-school horror favourites as well as some modern classics. That's not to say that we don't tackle some of the, let's say, more questionable entries into the horror genre. And if all that wasn't enough, we have a subset of shows called Baz V Horror, where our horror novice, The Baz, tackles horror in all shapes and forms to see who will come out victorious. So what are you waiting for? The show can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Stitcher and iTunes. The podcast Under the Stairs is a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. This is Duncan McLeish from Under the Stairs, signing off. This is Cinema Beef, right? And this is Barry Boswick, right? And you're Gary, right? Well, keep listening. Keep watching. Keep supporting. And watch Helen Keller versus Nightwolves out next year. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. 
fun and games? Does anybody work around here anymore? It was the night Precinct 13 was supposed to close its doors forever. No offense, officer, but we're closing down. We're short-staffed. Central said we park here overnight until the road's clean. Until Detroit's most lethal prisoners changed everything. I'm responsible for everybody in here. That's my job. I assume you know who I am, Sergeant. You're a gangster. That's accurate. He's a cop killer. Who the hell are you? What the hell's going on? They're surrounding the place. The phones aren't working. I found this out there. Why are cops coming to kill us? One of my partners in crime is your fellow officer, Marcus Duval. If I make it to court, his whole team goes to jail. They can't allow me to leave this precinct alive. They can't allow any of us to leave here alive. All right, choose a weapon, anything you see. The only thing more dangerous than the criminals on the inside Come on, baby. Buddy, you wanna trust these freaks? They need us as much as we need them. Are the cops. On the outside. When this is over, you're going back to jail. This ain't about me and you. Not yet. We gotta put them all down. Without pause. Without regard. From the producer of Training Day, Ethan Hawke. Lawrence Fishburne, John Leguizamo, Ja Rule, Drea DiMatteo. We all gotta start trusting each other right now if we're gonna make it through this night. Assault on Precinct 13. On Precinct 13, uh, 2005, uh, a police sergeant must rally the cops and prisoners together to protect themselves on New Year's Eve. Just as corrupt policemen surround the station with the intent of killing all to keep the deception in their ranks. Uh, X, I'll let you take the lead on this one. Uh, what's <clears> your. <throat> tell us all about it, my friend. Oh, my goodness. Well, the Assault on Precinct 13 remake. Sometimes when you modernize things, you kind of have to convolute the story. Now, the the backstory here doesn't suck, but it's really straight from the cop movie handbook. Um, instead of cholos like we had in the original, we have a bunch of crooked cops who are trying to kill <clears throat> um, Lawrence Fishburne. Fuck. They gave him the name of Bishop, which was the name of the cop in the original Assault on Precinct 13, and I don't know why they did that. I also don't know why they felt the need to make the bad guy a black guy and make the good cop a white guy. But again, I'm probably reading way too much into this. <clears throat> but it's Ethan Hawke is, is, is the main good guy. He's the cop who's in charge of the precinct. <clears throat> and I can't see him just... He's always someone who's just haunted by his past. He's all gaunt and shit. And it looks like he cuts his own hair without a mirror. He's just <laughs> always fucked up. <clears throat> but the whole cast is weird. Ethan Hawke, uh, John Leguizamo, yeah, no, Larry Fishburne, Brian Dennehy in a role that Tom Atkins should have played, yes, um, Maria Bello, Ja Rule, 
Ja Rule. Ja Rule, people. You know why Ja Rule's this movie? Because every thug needs a lady. That's why he's in this movie, okay? Shit. <laughs> That's why he's in this movie. No. No, he's bad. Oh, he's terrible. And he talks about himself in the third person all, all the time in this movie. <laughs> now, here's what I like about the movie. Here's what I like, because we have to be fair. Um, the movie takes place during a blizzard. Yeah. Now, that is a very interesting twist on it, because it makes sense that you can't get to the abandoned precinct if you know Mother Nature is really trying to stop you. Well, they switched California with Detroit in the movie, so... Yeah, they, uh... there you go. <clears throat> so that makes perfect sense. And I am compelled to give any movie that has an icicle kill extra points. Yes, yes. <clears throat> Because that's awesome. So in that way, the remake's a bit of a it's it's a bit of a level up just on the action end of it. But the thing I don't like about this movie the most is that this is an action movie that has the same uh, story principles as a slasher flick. Yeah, yeah, I agree. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not that's not a terrible thing, but it's kind of an uneasy thing because. Well, in this particular instance, it's not fun. And action movies are supposed to be fun. I mean, fuck, Die Hard had a hellacious body count. It's still fun. And this movie's just... It's, it's just... It's not fun. It's kind of tedious. And like you said, like you were talking about how you kind of know who's going to die and who's not. It's the same thing in the remake of Assault on Precinct 13. They just really linger on it a lot longer. And it... Like, one character gets shot, and, you know, we didn't know that person was going to get killed, allegedly. But the head flops back, and all of a sudden you just see the snow just covered in blood leaking out of this person's head. And it's just like, we really didn't need that, you know? And I I like blood and gore, believe me, but I just thought, fuck, can we get back to the story? There's other shit going on here. <clears throat> so that's my, that, that's my whole problem with this one, is it's it's got that... It's got that bad slasher flick mentality while pretending to be an action film, and it ends up not succeeding as either. Yeah, the problem I got with this film is that there's there's lots of, and I I remember really liking this film when I I I own I own it on DVD. When I bought it on DVD, it was almost like a buy and buy. I remember really like really kind of not hating it, but now you watch it. I never want to watch a film where I can say, you know, I could have really done without Maria Bello because Maria Bello is a hot piece of ass, and you know, she's she's a good actress when she wants to be, but in this film, she she plays the psychiatrist of of uh, the Ethan Hawke character because they had this whole useless thing at the beginning of the film, with which she you know, has the whole thing where oh, this is why he's an alcoholic and this is why he's washed up because he made a bad drug deal as an undercover cop and his whole team died, and this this scene has nothing to do with the rest of the film. <laughs> and I am a completely extraneous character. They, they, they could have had that. That is like a little run-in, like like when he's talking to the therapist. Oh, so you're you're just upset because your 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 partner died or whatever. And that could have been it. That could have knocked ten minutes off of that film, which is an hour and fifty minutes to begin with. You know. Yeah, it needed ten minutes knocked off. And that, that's that's your ten minutes right there. <clears throat> you know, that, that's that's my two cents on that. I guess. And we were talking about this before we actually started talking about this film that, you know, Ethan Hawke seems kind of out of place in this film, you know? We, we, <laughs> Who's in place, Gary? Who was in place in a movie that has Ja Rule? Nobody. Uh, Steven Seagal. Because <laughs> <laughs> Half Past Dead is insane. <laughs> I retract. I retract my previous <laughs> statement. 
Oh man. But yeah, we were talking about if Stephen if only Stephen Dorff was in this movie instead of uh Ethan Hawke, you know, which they're kind of interchangeable at this point, you know, especially at this point in their careers, you know. This like yeah, we, this could have gone Ethan Hawke, Stephen Dorff, or Christian Slater, and it would have been the same fucking movie. <laughs> Those three guys need to do a film together. They do. I'll find it. I'll find it. That shit. Boy, talk about the Expendables. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, that 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 whole thing with the, with the, the beginning part was kind of useless in, in a film like this, where the original was more like a simple story of you know them the closing down this precinct. You know, somebody coming in for help, and of course, blood for blood, blah, blah, blah. This one had this whole complex idea where Larry Fishburne knew all about which cops were on the take, and I guess he was going to turn snitch on them if he didn't take this deal, and he didn't take the deal, and which turned into that, which I think is like the coolest Larry Fishburne is in this whole fucking film, where he, he churns the gun on the guy and he stabs him in the neck right in the middle of the church, you know. It's yeah, it's, cool. it's very Arnie in Commando, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But he kills the black guy on the plane, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, but, and you know what? And if that's your thing, then awesome. Because there are more headshots in this movie than your basic Call of Duty game. Oh, the gore is, the gore is nonstop. The gore is uh, it's nonstop, and it's great. When, when Ethan Hawke shoots a guy in the head, you see the exit wound, you yes. know? So if, if you like that kind of thing in your movies, you know, more power to you. I just don't think it helped the story all that much. And yeah. it did yeah, I mean this is this is Squib City, but it does nothing to further the story. And the only thing, like we're talking, like you know who's gonna die, you know the cocky black girl's gonna die. That's in the prison. You know Ja Rule's gonna die. You know at some point, uh, uh, oh, what is he? What kind of drugs is he on? Liguizamo's gonna tweak out and freak out at some point in time and turn on his captors, but because they're all supposed to be working together, but he's clearly coming off some kind of high that he can't get past, and you know. The problem with Leguizamo's character is he couldn't die soon enough to make me happy. No. <laughs> just, no. As soon as he started talking, I was like, oh, fuck, no. They've arrested the pest. Someone kill it. <laughs> you can't kill the pest, though, man. It's impossible <laughs> to kill the pest. The pest, uh... Yeah, that's a film we could do in here, too, maybe. I don't know. I'd love to watch the pest again. I don't know what the deal is, but... Leguizamo <laughs> took these roles, I guess. And, you know... You gotta, oh, you got to finance your off-Broadway shit somehow. Yes, and those are delightful. Yeah, they are. I love if you them. want delightful Liguizamo, watch the one-man shows. Everything else is just fodder to, to finance those things. So if you want to say, oh, wow, he's really terrible with this, but look look, look what it made. You know? yeah. I don't know, dude. I like Tu Wong Fu. So. My mother loves Tu Wong Fu. <laughs> My mother loves Tu Wong Fu, but that's it. She watches it too often. You know, she loves films like that. Oh, but, boy. <clears throat> um, what else? Yeah, um, like I said, Maria Bello, vapid. She's a psychiatrist, but she's uh, apparently has a math OCD problem, which is very annoying. When she gets nervous, <laughs> when she gets nervous, she, she multiplies large numbers. Uh, it's like the was... writers are like, we have to give everybody a quirk or else they're not going to be able to tell people apart. Let's give her a math problem. Oh God, so <laughs> terrible! Uh, the scene where they 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 uh, had their ultimate bad guy team up, and Ja Rule was flirting with Maria Bello. Oh, was it? No, was it? It was a uh, yeah, I think so. Maria Bello, where he's oh something about something. Oh, you must be an Aries because all of a sudden he's a, an astrology <laughs> expert as well. <laughs> like, just shut the fuck up, Ja Rule. I think he was trying to channel Rudy Ray Moore at that point, and it did not work. You and Liguizamo need to go go escape and die somewhere. 
on an island. Because that head wound with Lock Leguizamo with the head wound, I was like, yes, okay, no more, no more tweaking. Yeah, you know, good. No more tweaking. It works in New Jack City. Does not work here. Okay. <laughs> you don't got the acting chops of Chris Rock, so you just don't act like you do. Okay. Oh, oh. The, the the black uh, the black girl who I, I, mean, I don't even I don't, people those, those are deserve names. The black girl, the black prisoner, the black girl who was clearly a reject off of what words to do black that existed back in those days. You know, <laughs> she got shut down. All of a sudden, she could hotwire a car, which is where you get the the potato scene is in the original one, yep. where her and Maria Bello get it, you know, because there's always somebody in the back seat of the car, because yeah. they because it was so it was so phoned in. They're gonna make it. They're gonna. They must have said they're gonna make it about twenty three times during that 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 one and a half minute segment, you know. It's like they're gonna make it. Oh no, no, look, they're gonna make it. They're not gonna make it. There's yeah. somebody. There's somebody in that back seat, you know. You know, you can't let Queen Latifah stunt double live through a whole movie. <laughs> we Latifah stunt double. That's magical. <laughs> oh, it, I, I think Drea DiMatteo is really hot, but kind of useless in this movie too. If, if anything, I'd say that her, um, her and Maria Bello character should have switched roles. I guess and they could have been the same character. Yeah, because really all her character did was say, "Hey, it's New Year's Eve. Hey, the precinct's closed. All the computers are gone, and so are the phones." Thank you, Miss Exposition 2005. You may leave now. And then, you know, of course, they, they, they zap. <laughs> they zapped. Um, <laughs> walking Exposition is Brian Dennehy in this movie. Because <laughs> he, he knows the score the whole, he knows the whole, the score the whole time in this movie. He's like, it, it's Bishop's Men. I know it's Bishop's Men. It's like, yeah, you're not a red herring at all, are you? You just happen to know what's going on this whole time, you know. They're all coming to get us. They're coming to get us. There's no Check. escape. Check your cell phones. Those are off, too, I guarantee it. God damn it. Oh. Give up. <laughs> God damn our technologies. Just turn them over. Just turn them over so we can all live. Who's got the wire service? I'm still getting royalties from FX. <laughs> I would hope for our attack for Denny in this film. <laughs> People think, oh, Tommy Boy, he died too soon in that film. No, he died just in time in that film. And then, you know, you, you let, let, let Farley do his antics. Denny he needed a, a Tommy Boy-esque heart attack about 45 minutes into this film. <laughs> and then you wouldn't have got to see the churn that we all saw was coming at the end of this film. Uh, where you, I guess the biggest offense of this film is that he goes to turn himself into to Gabriel Byrne, who was your bad guy that does nothing in this film. He stands around. He's the only bad guy not wearing a ski mask. He's, he is the, the the bad guy in this film. He does nothing in this film, which is the biggest offense of this entire film, in my opinion. Yeah, because Gabriel Byrne is amazing, and he is just totally wasted in this role. He is wasted faster than Rutger Hauer on True Blood. You know, not, not even, <laughs> and that's pretty bad. You know. Oh my God! Yeah, also, just... let me just mention one more thing, real quick. the The song at the end of this movie is fucking terrible. Is it a Ja Rule song? It is, a, it is a Ja Rule song, and it actually references the cast members by name. <laughs> by their real name. He's talking about Larry Fishburne in the song. It makes the song from the end of Deep Blue Sea sound like fucking Bohemian Rhapsody. Me, you don't love My Love is Like a Shark Fin? Dude, I do love that song, if I'm honest. <laughs> Deepest, bluest. Oh, fucking love that. Not, not as epic as the Maniac Cop rap song, but uh, you know I'll take it. 
he'll 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 find you a jacuzzi and hit you with an Uzi or the, the the lyrics of that song God. go. But the Mania Cop rap song is epic, you know. <laughs> That's how you know you're watching a urban thriller is when somebody who died in Act Two is doing the song at the end credits. I'll have to look and see, but out of all the Ice T films, I gotta see how many Ice T films, Ice T songs are actually in Ice T films. That's a fair question. That is a fair question because I'm a huge Ice T fan. I'm betting it's a lot. I'm betting it is too. <laughs> but I'm betting they're not all talking about the people who are in the movie. However, if there is an Ice T Alyssa Milano rap, I am all over that shit. Yep. <laughs> I want that. He loves him some white women. Let me tell you yes, right now. Yes, he does. <laughs> but um, yeah, as far as Precinct Thirteen the remake goes, I guess it was. <sighs> Somebody thought it was a good idea at the time to take this film that was had gained cult status, you know, for for people know about now to to make it modern. I guess I, I don't think it was a great idea. It's just. The execution was all wrong, in my opinion. Yeah, it was it, it was a brand recognition thing. You know, people knew the title, and they thought, we can make another movie with that same title, and people will go see it. And you were getting a lot of those, especially around this time. I think this is right at the time when the House of Wax remake came out, mm-hmm. which is which is basically a tourist trap remake. Of which if, you watched it, if you watched the House of Wax remake, you, you like tourist trap, you'll have a better time. So, you know, let's put it that way. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Those the, all those horror ones came out, and they decided, hey, let's throw let's throw some action ones out there too, and they chose this one, which is you know, it's not atrocious. You know, we'll watch it and see what it tells me you think, because it's just Larry Fishburne being Larry Fishburne, and you know, a bunch of just got a bunch of useless people in this film. Yeah, <clears throat> it's Fishburne being Fishburne and Ethan Hawke being Sid Vicious. So, see if you enjoy that. And then you get you get the point break ending, you know, where the bad guy gets to escape, you know, who's fatally shot in the chest. I mean, this guy's worse off than Tim Roth and Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> and he just gets up and walks away. He's like, "Yep, I'll see you on the other side." Kind of shit, you know. And no, no. see, they should have come back after the credits and have him walk five steps and die like Bill on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, he's clearly dying. He just gets up and walks away, you know. And I want to see Ethan Hawke shoot the gun in the air, you know, but he's not going to do it because this, this isn't Point Break, apparently. <laughs> and he's not Johnny Utah. Nope. Although if his name was Johnny Utah, this film would make a whole lot more sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hate to say that, but you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's the, all I got to say about Precinct 13. Anything else you want to say about Precinct 13, the, the, the Redux? Um, it is a movie, and you can watch it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, ratings, though, I guess one through ten. What is your ratings, my good sir? I'm going to give the remake of Assault on Precinct 13 a four. <clears throat> I'm going to go slightly lower than that because I I liked wow. it. Because you know I I liked it when I originally saw it. Like you know what, this review seems like a good idea at the time, but then it it really fit into the dynamic of this show. Which is, you know, let's beef it up. And I got major beefs with films like this. <laughs> and, you know, it gets a three. You know, it's just, it shouldn't be watched by many people. Let's put it that way. No, really, <laughs> it, its demographic really seems to be like the 10 to 14 year olds who are playing first person shooters all day. That don't know any better. This is, yeah. for, the, this is for the film that, that 
for, for, for people who don't know any better. Let's put it that way. Yeah. This is a 90s action film that was made 15 years too late. If that's the best way I can describe this film, it'd be, you know, it's, yeah. This should have been made in 1993, and people might have, might have enjoyed it better with Michael Dudikoff or somebody like that in it, you know. Glickenhouse could have done it better. Yes, yes, he could have. So, um, yeah, with that, uh, we'll go and we'll close out the show. You may know him as John Cross from the podcast from the After Movie Diner, or you may not know him at all. But now you can know him as Miscellaneous Plumbing Fixtures with the release of his new album, Catch Up or Don't See If I Care. Available now on Bandcamp, iTunes, Amazon, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever music is found. A full 16 new folk blues and rock tracks from this bearded singer-songwriter. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and at aftermoviediner.com. For links to the album and to learn more, go to miscplumbingfixtures.blogspot.com or miscplumbingfixtures.bandcamp.com. My name is X. And I'm Cootie. Please consider us your high priest and priestess of satanic cinema. Join us on our podcast, Kiss the Goat, which will drag your soul through some of the finest and worst devil movies of the last 50 years. Devils and demons, exorcisms and possessions, cults and rituals, dogs and cats living together. Is that a devil movie? Maybe. Sort of. I don't know, babe. We'll talk about it later. Join us on the Horrorphilia Podcast Network every other week as we don our hoods and cloaks and kiss, kiss the, the goat. It's a hell of a good time. I knew you were going to say that. Of course you did. It's in the script. American Dream He's just a common man The American Dream does the road be this I'm coming to you live and in living color to speak to you the American people a podcast called Silver Gold Daddy you know that the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, knows how to bring home the gold, daddy. And just like Henry Silva sticking Barbara Boucher's head inside a sow hanging from the ceiling, Silva and Gold will stick it to you, stick it to your ears, stick it to your mouth, your eyes, your nose, daddy. And all points in between, they'll take your listening pleasure and stick it between a sow's caucus hanging from the ceiling, daddy. Silver and gold. We talk about movies and shit. Find us on iTunes or silverandgold.com. All right, guys. Uh, first in a beef in a while, and I'm glad uh, to be back in this saddle again. And I have some uh, fortunate news for you guys. I, fortunate for me, fortunate for you guys, because... Bring something to the table, you know, other than myself. I, uh, I'm choosing a permanent co-host for this show. We'll still have guests on and stuff, you know. And I, I don't mind, you know, a more, more than one conscientious objector of the, the the shit that I enjoy. <laughs> but the guy you're talking to right now, the, the guy that's co-host of the show, is going to be my permanent co-host for Cinema Beef. So, uh, X, I'd be glad to have you aboard, sir, to, to have you on another project, you know, and uh, that, that 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 I produce, and you're know, not just a commentary show. 
Dude, I am so glad to be here. It is an honor, and I hope to do you proud, man. Well, yeah, I'm sure you will, man. I, I, I ain't going to let you off too easy. I'm playing. You know, you, you're, you're good at what you do, you know. I, I always tell the folks, you know, that not even they're bad at what they do. Just, just they're putting something out there, content out there that I know I'm not going to what I do. But you, 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 you and the, the cootie are going at it do, doing pretty good stuff. So I'm pr- proud to have you as a co-host on uh, Cinema Beef and I hope we have a long, <laughs> a long recording schedule ahead of us. <laughs> By bi-monthly, I hope, guys. So that's, that's what I'm shooting for. It's going to be uh, fun. It's going to be hella fun. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, yeah, if you got anything you want to push, man, now's the time. Go for it. All right. You can find me on the Kiss the Goat podcast. Um, you can also find me on the Six and a Half Feet Under podcast. And on the Not So Evil Episodes sidecast. All three of those are on the Horophilia Network. Um, you can find my fiction at amazon.com find my music reviews at popshifter.com and find me on twitter at jeffrey x martin that's great uh, you can find me on twitter too at gw come on join the Cinema facebook group uh, if you go to legionpodcast.com where this show is located you can go uh, hit the donate button and uh, help, our, help our cause for legionpodcast.com Bo would appreciate that. And then, uh, yeah, we still have a running, running uh, raffle going where if you rate and review any show I produce on on, uh, on iTunes, being this show, The Bird, The Beard, uh, Sausage Fest, that's not, that's not, that's not, that's not, that's Sausage Fest is uh, available, uh, Sloppy Seconds, or um, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, any five of those shows, you get five chances to win uh, some goodies from me, including a few autographs, a couple Blu-rays, and uh yeah, you may have already won. So rate review often, and we could, uh, I could sing some cool shit. They'll even ship internationally. So there you go, guys. Uh, like I said, X has been a pleasure. I, mean, I can't wait till next time, sir. Hopefully, talk about something better than uh, the, the, the Precinct 13 remake, you know? That won't be hard. <laughs> it won't be hard, yes. <laughs> but uh, we'll see you guys all again next time. Later, guys. Stay on there's no t-